Good morning. All right, we're on. Well, good morning, everyone. I also just piggybacking off of what Jared said on those the little cards there in the pew pockets that he named it. If <laughs> there's also a prayer box in the back, so even if you don't put them in the offering, you know, fill it out, put it in the ba- in the box as you leave church this morning. We'll definitely make sure uh, we're praying for those and. So do that. Also, that's also if this is your first time or you want more information about the church, you can also leave some information on there as well. And we'll do what we can to help you in any way possible. So with that said, let's go ahead and pray and ask God to bless our time together. Lord God, we thank you so much for this morning that you've given us to worship. And what a great and awesome gift it is to worship you, the creator of the universe the one who's provided salvation for all people who will look to you. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we pray this morning as we read your word and proclaim it, that you would speak to each and every person here this morning, that they would understand and know the joy of salvation. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 12. After the past few weeks of all this judgment that's coming on the nation of Israel, we finally come to the end of, of a section in the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 12, it is really just a song of praise. And so from that, this morning, we're going we're gonna to look at that and find some, about seven, I think maybe eight responses, how those of us who have experienced salvation should respond to that salvation. So let's look at the text this morning again, starting in verse 1 of chapter 12. Isaiah writes, Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. Therefore you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation, and in that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord, call on His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, make them remember that His name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for He has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitants of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One, of Israel. So again, if you've been with us for a while, you can see that the culmination is this big shout of praise that Isaiah is praising God for the salvation that is about to come to the nation Israel. So with that, look, go back to verse one and you see at the very beginning that he says, then you will say on that day. And again, as I keep mentioning, if you've been here, you know, on that day is talking about the day that Christ came into this world. Back in chapter 11, there were a few times where Isaiah said, and on that day, and on that day. And so that day, he's foreseen that when it comes, this, is, will be, this will be the response of people when salvation comes into the world. The day when Christ comes into this world and brings salvation for everyone. Again, this is what Isaiah has been promising for the nation of Israel. He's saying, this is your future. This is what's going to happen to them when it comes. After the judgment, after, again, in context, the nation of Israel, again, is surrounded by armies. It doesn't look like it's a good time. 
God is coming and using an army to judge the nation of Israel because they have broken covenant with God. But yet Isaiah foresees in the future, it's going to be okay. God is going to allow you to go into captivity. He's going to bring you out. And then eventually the Messiah is going to come and bring salvation. And when that day comes, as we studied, it's going to be glorious. And this is the message that Isaiah has been proclaiming over and over and over again to the people. And unfortunately, if you know the nation, the story of the nation of Israel, they don't listen. And as you know, they go into captivity. And this has been a consistent message. And even in the New Testament, that's the message that the angel brings to Joseph. You remember when Joseph was thinking of putting away Mary. He didn't want to marry Mary. Mary, Mary. Yeah, that's right. He didn't want to marry Mary. Because he had found out that she was pregnant, the angel came to him and said, Joseph, in Matthew one twenty, speaking of Mary, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sin. This is the salvation that Isaiah foresees. Not only that, Simeon, when he sees the Lord Jesus as a little baby, he says this in Luke 2, My eyes have seen thy salvation, meaning the salvation that comes from God. My eyes have seen that salvation which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of salvation to the Gentiles and a glory, excuse me, and the glory of thy people Israel. So the angel proclaims this same message when Jesus comes. Simeon proclaims it. And then Jesus himself in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 21, he proclaims the purpose of his coming as well. Remember, he's in the temple, and he grabs the scroll and reads from the prophet Isaiah and says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So Jesus is saying this is his purpose for coming to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recover sight to the blind and set at liberty them that are bruised. And it says in the text that we're reading that he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. They were looking to see what this meant that Jesus just read. And he began to say to them, this day... This scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Jesus is saying, I came exactly to do those things that Isaiah prophesied about. And then going back to our text in Isaiah chapter 12, this is what the prophet is saying. He doesn't really know how it's going to come about, but he knows that in the future, God is going to restore his people to salvation. And so this is why he's saying in that day. So what will happen when that when that comes about? Go back to our text in Isaiah chapter 1, and this is where Isaiah begins to lay out what people will do. He says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. So the response of God's people to salvation is that they give thanks. They're thankful because they realize what the Lord has done for them. Look at what he says. He says, for although you were angry with me, So he's giving thanks because he knows God was angry with him. And speaking in the first person, you've turned your anger away. Remember, God is angry with Israel for what reason? Because they've been disobedient. And Israel was going to be cast into captivity, as they began to say a little while ago. 
And then they're going to return out of that captivity. But when they return, they will have lost their land. They will not have a king again. Somebody else will be ruling in their land. Remember when Jesus came, who was in charge of Israel? The Roman Empire was. Israel no longer had a kingdom. So even though God brought them out of captivity, they didn't have what they had before. And again, all this was because Israel was breaking their covenant with God. So God was justly angry with the nation of Israel. And so Isaiah recognizes that here in verse 1. He continues on, he says, you, Although you were angry with me, he's not thankful that God was angry with them. He's thankful for the next part. Look at what he says. Your anger is turned away. God is, he's saying there's going to be a time on that day when the Lord comes again that he's no longer going to be angry with his people. The Lord could have rightly cast away the nation of Israel for all eternity. He would have been just and perfect in doing that because they had broken their covenant that he gave them. But instead he graciously offers hope to those who will trust in him again. And how does he offer this hope? How does he turn his anger away? Well, he provides atonement for their sins. Again, Jesus was saying this is why he came to do these things. He provides atonement or reparations, in a sense, for the sin of his people. Jesus came to endure the anger of God for the sins of his people. So God's anger turned from those who it is justly due to and is poured out on his son. In Romans chapter 5, turn there with me. And let's look at verses 6 through 9. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. It says this. It says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his, his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Here the Apostle Paul is explaining to the church that God's wrath, which is just to be upon us, has turned and been poured out on his Son, and that is atoned for our sins. And so this is what Isaiah is saying, and again, he's probably not understanding the full revelation of God's word in the future, but he knows there's going to be a time for the nation of Israel that salvation will be offered again. And so that's why he says, God was angry with me, but he has turned his anger away and has poured it out on his son, Jesus Christ. And the, resulting, the result of that is that he says that he comforts me. So at one time he was angry, but he turned it away, and he now comforted him. It's like our parents, if you remember when you were a child, when you had done something wrong, your parents were justly angry with you, and after they had punished you, I hope they did this, they comforted you after that. That it's okay, you know, I'm not mad anymore, your punishment has already been handed out, and you've served your time, so to speak. Your parents comfort you. But in a much greater way, God comforts us. Remember, Jesus said he had come to deliver, to save, to set free. And in that way, he comforts the nation of Israel. Israel was given a new covenant now through Christ. Christ came again and paid for the sins of the world. 
And when Christ came and died, then he resurrected on the third day and ascended into heaven. And all those who believe on that, including the nation of Israel, will be saved. Paul again says in Romans 10, 9, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's confessing with your mouth and then believing it in your heart, you will be saved. And the Lord comforts those people, comforts those who believe on him. Think of this, when you be, if you're a believer this morning, think of the things that you have been delivered from since you believe on Christ. The Lord has delivered you from sin, first of all. He's given you forgiveness of that sin. He's also given you peace between God and yourself. So God is no longer angry with us or with you. He is no longer your enemy. And he has given us eternal life. So again, we've been delivered from sin. We're forgiven of sin. We're offered peace with God. And now we have eternal life. And all these things provide comfort for you and me and for those of you who believe. In Romans 5.34, kind of emphasizing these things, says, therefore, having been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's the comfort that we have. That's the comfort that Isaiah foresaw in the future. So let's go back to our text now in Isaiah chapter 12. So that's just the first response when Isaiah is saying, you're going to give thanks to the Lord because you understand what he has done for you. The second response of God's people is this. It's also found in verse one. It's found in verse 2. He says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The proper response for God's people on that day of salvation is trusting in the Lord and not being afraid anymore. When you give your life to the Lord, you feel that, that safety and that security as His child. Think of your parents when you were a young child, probably more as a young child. Did you look to your mom and dad as... They protected you. They provided for you. They took care of you. You felt safe in your home. In a much greater way, God provides safety and security. And it's not only because of what he has done, but it's because who he is. You know his character. You know who God is and how he deals with his people. He's trustworthy, and there's nothing to fear from God. It doesn't mean when you say, I trust God, and then I don't fear. It doesn't mean that nothing bad is ever going to happen in your life. Because if you've lived this life long enough, you know and understand that bad things happen. So again, it's not that nothing will happen, but it's the understanding that if and when it does happen, God is in control of that. I was trying to think of a good comparison of that in a much smaller way. It would be like when you have a babysitter. When you leave your children with a babysitter, you usually leave them with somebody that if something happens, they will know what to do. They will know who to call. They will be in control of this situation. You wouldn't leave your child with somebody who would freak out and not understand what to do and like run out of the house and leave your kids in the house because they're afraid and they're scared, right? Yeah, that pro- you don't want to do that. You have those people like me that I'm not really good in an emergency. I kind of like, like, what do we do? You know, I'm not in control. My wife is a total opposite. She's like calm in that situation and cool and has things under control. So Don't let me watch your children. That's the moral of that story. (laughs) You want to put your children in the hands of somebody you can trust. And we need to look at God that way. Again, it's not that something bad won't happen, because again, we know it will, but God's in control of it. God understands what you need. 
God has permitted that to happen for whatever his sovereign reason is, and you can trust him. And that's what, the, that's what Isaiah is saying. That salvation is coming, I can trust God. I don't have to fear anymore because God is in control. The third response of God's children, according to our text, was also found in verse 2. He says, for the Lord God is my strength. He's saying that God, when you're a believer, when you trust in God, when salvation has come, you view God as your strength, meaning God is powerful and, and he's strong, and that's referring to God's character and who he is and what he can do. God is described in Scripture as a strong tower in Psalms. The protector, he's a protector, he's a defender. So strength is found in God's people when they are in God, when they're trusting in God. Again, because they know that God fights for them. God defends them. God protects them. You all know the scripture, if God be for us, who can be against us? Again, God gives his people the ability to continue, to fight, to persevere, and that's the strength that the Lord gives us. The Lord sustains us and he holds us up. We're no longer on our own. God is with us. So that's the third response of those who have found salvation. This is why salvation is so joyous. You can trust God. God is your strength. And, th- and fourthly, the fourth response of God's people is God is their source of joy. Again, in verse 2, he says, God is my strength and my song. That's describing joy. Right? Because of his salvation, Isaiah says that you will sing a joyous song. Right? This music or singing is a natural expression of a spirit that is free. And I was trying to think of the times when people get excited or when they start singing. Over the past few years, I've really been in, I've gotten into soccer or football, as we call it in England. <laughs> you don't get that, I'm sorry. And have you ever seen like the crowd, just, they just go nuts when somebody scores and they just sing songs. As a matter of fact, when we went to England this last year, my wife purposely said, if they start singing, I'm not singing. She's not like a singer, you know, for when a goal is scored. So we had to sit in a section where they were very English and very proper and very quiet and reserved. But the point being is that they get so overcome with joy that they just break out into song. And in English soccer, they just have tons of songs for their team. And they sing because they're joyous, they're happy, they're excited. Or I thought of, like, what you know when you're about to... How many of you sing when food is coming to the table? <laughs> Some of you sing. I know you do. You're like, yeah, I'm going to eat. You know, get a little excited when food's coming. You know, like, you do, right? When it's time to eat, it brings joy. It brings comfort. And you might break out in song, which is fine. I, I also thought of when I'm leaving work on Friday, I turn up the radio and I start singing because I'm excited. <laughs> Work's done for the next few days. Again, the point being is that song is an expression of joy. And so Isaiah is saying when somebody experiences the joy of the Lord, they break out in song. And I think that's what we have here when we worship, right? We're singing to God, not to like prepare ourselves for the sermon, which is good, but that in itself is worshiping God. We're breaking out in joyous song because we're excited for what he has done. I really hope that when you sing, you're thinking about the words that you sing, And you're not just saying them out of repetition or that you know that song. And you're being entertained, but you really focus on the words of the song. And so, again, the proper response 
for those who have experienced salvation. And again, going back to Isaiah, he's saying the response of Israel when they experience salvation will be their, their song. They will break out in song. That God will be their song. Okay, back to our text now. And let's look at the fifth response, and that can be found in verse 3. He says, Therefore you will, be joy- you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. So the fifth response of God's people is that they're going to understand that God is their source of satisfaction. Drawing water from the springs of salvation is an Old Testament metaphor used to describe refreshing, restoration, uh, salvation, eternal life, and God himself. It's speaking of that inner satisfaction that a believer has because they're saved, because they know the Lord. The springs of salvation in the Old Testament, I'll show you in a minute, is a reference to the Lord himself. God is called the fountain of living water. In Jeremiah 2, 3, Jeremiah writes this, For my people, speaking as God, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So in this verse, he's describing Israel as seeking satisfaction from a cistern that cannot hold water. So the picture is this, that there's this perfect cistern or jug or something, you know, that holds water, and that's God, and it's full, and it never runs empty. And that's one picture. And the other one is a, a broken cistern where you could see water just completely coming out, and every time they go to it, there's nothing there. And so, logically, if you were the person, which cistern would you take? The one that's full. But Jeremiah is saying, no, Israel keeps going to this broken one over and over again, and they're never satisfied. And so this is what Isaiah is saying, is that when, you're, when you have this salvation, when you have salvation from God, you will go to this joy, you know, this, you'll joyously draw water from this cistern because it never ends. I'm reminded of that conversation Jesus had with the woman at the well. You remember in John chapter 4, and I want to read that to you, because I think this perfectly illustrates this point. In John chapter 4, starting in verse 10, he says this, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? She's, uh, and he says, where am I? Sorry, I got lost there. Verse 12, he sa- she says, You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself, and his sons and his cattle, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of the water of this will will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of springing up to eternal life. You see what Jesus was saying? He was alluding to the picture that we see in Jeremiah and in Isaiah, that this living water, this cistern that you get from God, is never going to end. You're always going to be satisfied. And so again, that's the point of Isaiah here in chapter 12, 
saying that when you experience salvation, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And so that's the fifth response, is that you, you get your satisfaction from the Lord himself. Nothing else will satisfy. Those who do not experience you know, the satisfaction from the Lord, just picture that you're, they're constantly going to this cistern that's broken. They reach in there and they get something and it's never ending. They're never satisfied. They keep going back to it over and over again and it's broken and it's not going to provide what they're looking for or provide them with what they're looking for. So that's the picture Isaiah is telling us here in Isaiah 12. He continues on in verse 4, in verse four and says, In that day you will, you will give thanks to the Lord and call on His name. And it says, Make known His deeds among the people. Make them remember that He is exalted. So here we see two things. Another response of God's people is that they will tell others about the Lord. That's what Isaiah is picturing here is that Israel is going to experience this great salvation on that day. It's going to be so awesome that they cannot contain it, that they're going to go out and share it with other people. They're going to tell other people what the Lord has done. They're going to tell other people about this experience of salvation that is given to them. And that's what he's saying in verse 4. Not only that, another response is that they're going to encourage others to exalt the Lord. There again in verse 4, he says, Make them remember that his name is exalted. That phrase, make them remember, is a phrase used to make sure that something is on the forefront of their mind. So they're reminding people that, that how awesome God is. And keep that in the forefront of your mind. Have a reverence for the character and the person of who God is. That's the proper response. And then the last response can be found in verses 5 through 6, where it says, Praise the Lord in song, for He has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the whole earth, or throughout the earth. So the eighth response of God's people is that well, they will praise the Lord for this salvation. It's another example of God's people expressing their gratitude for what God has done. And that's another thing that we need to understand when we're worshiping God. You're expressing your gratitude for what God has done for you. That, I think, is the, the proper understanding of worship. Praising God for who He is. Praising God for what He's done. And not only that, he says, this is a, it's a witness to the people around you. It's a witness to the world that we come together and praise God for what He's done. I think it's the proper use of music and song to praise God. I'm reminded of Psalm 156 where it says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Do you know that's the very last verse in the book of Psalms? 150 Psalms, verse 6 is kind of the summary of the entire book. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. If you're a believer and God has forgiven you and brought you salvation, I'm not saying you have to be in the front row raising your hands and screaming the loudest, but you should praise God from within. Singing to God should be a natural uh, response for what He has done. Praising God. Let your entire being praise God for what He's done for you. So that's Isaiah's message for the church. Now I want to close with just some points of application from all this. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to draw two points of application. And the first one is this, is that salvation is here today for each person. When Christ came in the first century... He inaugurated what Isaiah is saying here, that salvation has come. 
And right now, salvation is being offered to all men, to all women, to every creature. God provides and offers salvation for them. And that message will go out, and God uses a church to do that as well, to proclaim the gospel to all people. And so the first one is this. If, if you're here this morning and you have not accepted the salvation of the Lord, if you do not confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then I would pray that you would do that this morning. That you wouldn't leave this room without doing that. That you would experience the joy of salvation. And so when we, in a moment, when we, uh, have a, when we begin worship again, as Jared mentioned, there's going to be some people that are going to come up here on this bench right here. Um, if you want to do that, if you want to pray and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that I would ask that you would come down during the song of worship and pray with them. Would, that would be number one. The second one is this. Second point of application is this. Christ has arrived, as we said, and he's already inaugurated his kingdom. And those of us who have salvation who have answered that call, we should do all those things that I mentioned a few minutes ago. Number one, we should praise God for the salvation that He has brought us. Again, praise God for what He's done. Remember, God was angry with us. But He's turned that anger away and now He comforts us and we should praise God for that. I hope you understand the grace that God has given each and every one of us that are His. Because He could have rightly banished us for all eternity from His presence. And he will do that with those who do not call on his name. But if you've received him as Lord and Savior and you follow him, then he's turned his anger away from you and he has now comforted you. And we should praise him for that. Secondly, we should trust God in all of our circumstances. Again, it's not that, God's, that nothing bad's ever going to happen, but it's understanding that God is with us. God is working his will in us and through us. And we have to remember that God is a good father. If you understand the character of God, you know He doesn't bring anything into your life for no purpose. There's a purpose that you're going through what you're going through. And He's with you and He will bring you through it and He will help you along the way. And so we should trust Him in those circumstances. Even though we don't understand what's going on, even though if God had consulted you, you would have told God, hey, I don't want that in my life right now. But for some reason, God has allowed it. And so let's trust God in all circumstances. Thirdly, be confident in, understand, in this understanding of God that this gives us strength. If you trust God and you understand this, then this should give you strength in the life that you have and being confident in that. Fourthly, be confident in this understanding of God will give you joy. If you, know, if you can trust God and you know God is your strength and you know God works all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose, that that should bring you joy. That you know what? God's with me. God's going to get me through this. He's never going to leave me or forsake me. And so that should bring us that inner satisfaction, that joy, that we always have God with us. Next, we should find our satisfaction in Him and Him alone. Again, I want you to, I should have brought like, a pot of water, and then had another one just leaking water, but I would have had something catch it so I don't ruin the carpet. But the point would have been, is which one are you trusting in? Do you trust in this cistern? Do you find your satisfaction in God, who's always full, or in something else in this world that's never satisfying and is constantly losing water? You're constantly having to go back to dig for it, to find satisfaction. 
For those of us who are in Christ, I pray that you would find your satisfaction in Him and not look to other things, that He is your ultimate satisfaction. And finally and lastly, for those of us who have accepted this call of Christ, who have answered this call, I'm sorry, we should tell others about the Lord. We found, the Lord has found us. He's delivered us. He's saved us. And one day we're going to be with Him for all eternity. This is good news. As the angel said at Christmas time, this is good news of great joy. We should tell other people about it in our life in any way that we can. So again, in closing, just to recap, for those of us who have answered this call, let us praise God for His salvation. Let us trust God in all circumstances. Let us be confident in this understanding of God that it gives us strength. And being confident in this understanding of God should give us joy. We should find our satisfaction in Him. And lastly, we should tell others about the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You so much for Your Word how your word constantly reminds us of who we are and more importantly of who you are. You are the one who has provided salvation not only for your people, the nation of Israel, but for each and every one of us who calls upon your name, who confesses with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. We thank you for that, Lord God. And I pray this morning, Lord, for those of us who have accepted this and believe on this, that you would help us, Lord God, to trust you, as we saw, to be confident in you, to find our joy and our satisfaction in you, that nothing else in this world would would draw us away from you, Lord God. We live in a world where so many things vie for our attention and for our hearts and our minds. We pray that you would help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to stay close to you. And help us, Lord God, to be witnesses to this world that just looks like it's getting worse and worse every moment. No matter what goes on in our world, Lord, may you help us to be a light. Even if we're the last one standing, proclaiming your truth, may we never lose heart. May we find confidence and strength in you. And finally, Lord God, I pray for those this morning who have not yet called upon your name. I pray that they would do that this morning, that they would see that without without you, Lord God, they will never be satisfied. They will constantly be looking for water in broken cisterns that can never satisfy. They might satisfy temporarily, but not permanently and for eternity. And I pray that you would help them to see their need for you this morning. And we pray this in your name. Amen.